Would you turn with me tonight to Galatians chapter 4? So we continue our study of this wonderful letter of the Apostle Paul. We're going to be looking at the concluding section of Paul's, uh, the, the, the central theological arguments that he has been making in this letter. He concludes them in Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. And his theological point has been, as we saw in chapter 3, verse 26, that in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So arguing over against the Judaizers that came into the churches at Galatia and began to distort the gospel for them and lead them astray by adding to the gospel the works of circumcision and likely other ceremonial uh, keepings of the Jewish law and tradition in order to merit God's favor and blessing and be saved. Paul has now been clearly and in detail and with great effort, great length, arguing that, no, the gospel is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we are sons of Abraham and heirs of the promises God has made to his children through him if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ through faith. And that's all that's necessary. This past Sunday evening, uh, in verses 8 through verse 20 of chapter 4, there's a bit of a parenthetical pause. Paul took a break from his argument and shared his heart with them as a pastor and as an apostle and as the one that loved them dearly and cared for their souls. And he shared with them something of his heart and his desire for them and his care for them. But now in verse 21, he's going to return to bring his argument to a conclusion. This is one of the strangest and most difficult passages in all of the book of Galatians, probably the most in terms of interpretation and exegesis. There are a lot of things here. We're not going to get too far off into many of those things tonight, frankly, because I think the plain, uh, the, the, the plain teaching of Paul's argument and, and, and the, the, the basic thrust of how this section fits into Paul's argument that he's been making is abundantly clear and is not that difficult. But he does it in a very odd to us, very Jewish and very roundabout sort of way. So we're going to look at it tonight. Before we read these verses together, let's pray. God, we know that your word is life to us because it leads us to Christ. And so we pray that you would open it for us now. We pray that you would speak to us as we now listen. And God, that as you speak, we would be transformed. So much more than simply having information transferred into our minds that that information would seep into our hearts where you would plant it and cause it to to transform us into the image of Christ our Lord. So God, teach us from this difficult passage tonight to trust you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Beginning in verse 21, Paul says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. 
she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. When we come to verse 21 and we come to this seemingly pretty strange story, the first question that we have to deal with is why in the world does this story come to us in this way and at this place in Paul's letter? There's some debate about its placement and the way that it functions. But I think the allegory that Paul uses here from this historical narrative about Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael to Um, two sons born to these two different women in two different circumstances. On the one hand, it serves as a concluding proof from Scripture for for the arguments that Paul has been making for justification by faith alone. So if Paul is going to, in the most forcible way, appeal to the Galatian churches that the Judaizers are wrong, then one of the most effective ways to do that is to appeal to Scripture but not only to Scripture, to appeal to the Jewish Scriptures. So to go to the book that they would claim to know and believe in and be very familiar with and show them that if they rightly knew and understood the Word of God that they claim to love and obey, then they would understand the failure of their gospel and that it is no gospel at all. That's a good lesson for us as Christians to learn. If you want to have the biggest impact on people's failures of ideology and theology and misconceptions and so forth and so on, if you want to challenge someone's worldview, do not begin with human reason and logic and examples. Challenge them with the Word of God. Because like we saw this morning, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it alone can pierce deep and separate joint and marrow. The word of God is living and breathing. We are called to receive it with meekness because it is able to save our souls. But I think not only does it serve as a concluding proof, that is a scriptural proof, for the arguments that Paul has been making for justification by faith alone, it also serves as a connecting link to the exhortation passages that will begin in chapter 5. What we're going to find in chapters 5 and 6, the last two chapters of this letter, as Paul brings the letter to a conclusion, as he typically does, he is going to exhort these Christians to do some things, to be something, to do something, to act a certain way, to live a certain way, to think a certain way. Part of those exhortations, at least by way of theme, one of the major themes in chapters 5 and chapter 6 is the theme of freedom. You see in 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So this passage in chapter 4 also then serves as the connecting passage between the theological arguments that he's been making 
and the exhortations of with pertaining to Christian freedom in chapters 5 and 6. Why? Because he is showing theologically that there is a heritage for slavery and there is a heritage for freedom. There are the sons of Hagar and there are the sons of Sarah. And he makes that, that point in the verses that are before us tonight. Now, why this particular Old Testament story? That's a really fair question. It's a good question. It's one that I'm not 100% sure that we have absolutely the answer to. There have been many suggestions as to why Paul chooses Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac and Abraham, why he chooses this story. Um, I think the simplest answer is the best one. Without recounting all of the options for you, we don't have time tonight. uh, I want to just offer you this one. I think it is very likely, given what he has already argued in contradiction to the Judaizers about the sons of Abraham, okay? It seems clear to me that one of the Old Testament stories that the Judaizers would have been intimately familiar with and would have probably used in support of their false gospel would have been the story of Ishmael and Isaac. Because their logic would have gone something like this. Well, you know, Abraham had these two sons. There was the son by Hagar when he did not trust God, and she was a slave woman, and so there is the son of slavery. But he is not in the lineage of these physical descendants of Abraham the way that Isaac, the son of promise and the heritage of promise is. And so they were here telling the Galatian churches, right, that only those who are Jews and practice in keeping with the laws of Judaism are true sons of Abraham and are true sons of promise and have any part of the blessings that God is going to bestow to his people. And so they would have then extended that teaching back into this story and said that the descendants of Isaac are the true sons, the Jews. And the descendants of Ishmael represent the Gentiles, the illegitimate sons. And so the legitimate, illegitimate sons, those of Ishmael, need to legitimize themselves by becoming sons of Sarah, of the heritage of Isaac, by keeping the law in a certain way in order to make themselves a legitimate son and a legitimate heir. You see how that would have served their, 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 their purpose, their argument, their false gospel. Because what are they going to say? That these Gentiles, they're illegitimate children of God because they're not Jews. And so they have to believe in Christ, but they must legitimize themselves by keeping the Jewish law by being circumcised and prove themselves to be identified with God's people in order to have any part of the blessing that God's made. And so Paul now chooses this very story to drop a bomb on the logic and the reasoning and the fallacy of their gospel to show if they had actually read and understood, they would see that they are condemned by their own reasoning. That's where he begins. Look at what he says, verse 21. Tell me... You who desire to be under the law. Now, he uses the word law in this one verse in two different ways. The first reference to those who desire to be under the law are those who are um, the Judaizers and the Jews that seek to be saved in accord with law keeping. Okay, So he's talking about the Mosaic law. 
But then look at what he says. Do you not listen to the law? That's not the Mosaic law, the rules that they want to keep unto salvation. That's the law, the Pentateuch, the word of God. So they're, they're the, the, the place where the recording and the recounting of God's giving the Mosaic law comes to them. So what he's saying is, those of you that desire to be saved by works and law keeping, have you not read? Have you not listened to the law and the place where that law is recorded as being given to you? And then he goes on and he chooses from the law, from the Pentateuch, from their own writings and with something they would be very familiar with, the story uh, of Sarah and Hagar and Abraham and their sons. So the first point, and, and listen, there's really only one way to preach this passage. So almost every pastor that you listen to is going to preach it just like this. The history, then the allegory, and then some personal exhortations or applications or however you want to see that. It just simply is the way the text comes to us. So the first thing is the history. He tells us the historical story. Look at verse 22. For it is written, that is in this law, in the Pentateuch, in your writings, in the book of God, that Abraham had these two different sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, you know the story. So cast our minds together back to the story of Abraham. And when God promises Abraham that he would be blessed with descendants and children uh, and nations would descend from him as many as the stars in the sky. What was the problem that day? That Abraham and Sarah were old. They were well beyond the years of childbearing. The text of scripture makes that abundantly clear. And so after waiting some time, Abraham in his sin and his sinful imagination and ingenuity decides that rather than patiently wait on the blessing of God and patiently trust that God does not need his help to bring blessing in his time, he decides he's going to help God out. So he hatches a plan. And the plan is, well, between Sarah and Abraham, you're just going to go into Hagar, the slave woman. And you're going to have a child with her, and she's going to bear to you a son, the son of promise. And she bears a son to him, indeed, Ishmael. But God says Ishmael is not the son of promise. And he says, you will indeed bear a son. And at the age of 90, God opens Sarah's womb. And it is... A miracle. I mean, I know that there are children in here and whatnot, but I think the adults in here in the room understand the difficulty here. Well beyond the age of the ability to bear children, Abraham likely also well beyond the age of being able to father children. Yet God miraculously works in the desolate one, the language of Scripture, in the barren one, and brings forth from her womb a child, the son of promise. And that son is Isaac. So these two sons, historically, in this account, this is an actual account, and though Paul is going to use allegory, we'll talk about that in a moment, he is not in any way negating that this is an actual historical event. These things happened. And in this event that actually did happen, we're being presented with 
two modes of salvation, two ideologies of grace. We're being presented with the truth that God does not need our help to bless us. It is teaching us that we do not need to come up with ways to bring about or manufacture God's blessing for us or to us. It teaches us in this historical account when we see the sin with Sarah and Hagar and Abraham and Ishmael. And then we see the subsequent blessing of God by his miraculous hand and might and power with Isaac. We know that God's timing is not our own, that his ways are not our ways. And that what God calls us to do is to bear patiently under his sovereign care. To look to his mighty hand and to trust that his promises to us in the Lord Jesus Christ are yes and amen. Even if today we cannot see how that promise will be borne out. It's the testimony of the history of these two verses. And that's what Paul is recounting here. And it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? You can can even hear the hinting of Paul taking back from the Judaizers this use of this picture with these two different sons. What's he telling the Galatians who maybe have begun to be uh, enamored with the gospel of the Judaizers? Well, maybe I need to do something to get God's blessing. Maybe I need to come up with a way. I wonder if faith in Christ is really enough. I wonder if God's really going to bless me because it may not feel like it today. You can hear the hinting of Paul, even at the very beginning with the the accounting of this historical event, can't you? That it's not by our imagination that the blessing of God comes. It's not by human ingenuity. It's not by human might. It's not by human planning. It is by the miraculous and sovereign God that has promised. And that's it. And so you can see that beginning to be made clear to them, even in the history that he recounts. Now, Paul does something that, to be frank with you, makes me a bit uncomfortable in verse 24. We're going to move from history to allegory. For those of you who are not familiar with the term allegory, uh, it's, it's from a Greek term that is very similar uh, in reading to, to allegory. It sounds much like the English term. And it's from a word in the Greek that simply means finding something or saying something else. Something that is not there, quotes. Finding a further meaning or a hidden meaning. It's the practice of using or taking historical events and using them to speak figuratively. It's an analogy. Do you understand? It is taking actual historical events and saying, well, this represented this and this represented this and these events happened and they really mean this and it's so much more. Um, There have been many schools of allegorical interpretation, particularly of historical narrative in the Old Testament for many, many, many centuries throughout church history. They have gone very poorly Let me caution you, the rule of thumb, the rule of thumb is history is history and we only interpretate it allegorically when God does. So if the Bible does, I'm fine with it. So we know that it's okay to use this in this allegorical way here because the apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does so. 
That does not mean that we need to go back and look to every story and every event and every history and think that it means and that it says and that it teaches us something other than what God meant, said, and has taught us. That's not what it means. So caution there. But in these verses, look at 24, Paul simply states, now this may be interpreted allegorically. And the allegory that he gives, thankfully, is relatively straightforward. The allegory is existing in sets of twos in order to establish two heritages. Okay? So that there are two mothers, Hagar, the slave woman, and Sarah, the wife. There are two sons, Ishmael, the son of slavery, to the slave woman, and Isaac, the son of freedom, born to the wife. There are two mountains, Mount Sinai, where the law was given and ratified for the people of God, and then it is implied here, Mount Zion. We saw that from Hebrews 12 this morning. The city not made with human hands. The the city of God that is our longing and our hope. Two covenants. The old Mosaic administration representing the law. And the new covenant. Ratified by the blood of Christ. And two cities. The present Jerusalem. That is reflective of the Jews and those people who at that, in that day and at that time sought to be saved by their keeping of the law and the traditions of Judaism in order to merit salvation. And the heavenly city that is the hope of the people of God through faith. So you see these sets of two, there are five of them, and they stand in contrast to one another. And what he does is he is building a heritage from both of them so that he can come down to verse 28 and say, Brothers, now you, like Isaac, are children of promise. That's his point. That if we maintain our belief in Christ, our salvation that is by grace through faith only in Jesus Christ, then we are not sons of slavery that are destined to die and perish but we are legitimate sons of Abraham, sons of promise. And that's the allegory that he builds up. Let's read it together again. He says, now these women are two covenants. That's the first thing that we encounter. Listen, these two women that represent these two covenants do not think that Paul is here saying that there was something wrong with the old Mosaic administration. That's not his point. But we are told as Paul recounts uh, in 2 Corinthians, the, the, the glories of the new covenant over against the fading old one. That now that the new has come, the old has gone away. But it's not that there was a problem with the old. It is simply that men profaned the old by seeking for it to do what God never designed for it to accomplish. So, so the Jews of the day and the Judaizers here preaching this false gospel to the Galatians, what is it that they are looking to the law to do? Not to be their schoolmaster, not to watch over and keep them until Christ would come and fulfill it, but to bring about salvation. They were looking to their law-keeping, 
their legalism in order to merit the favor and the blessing of God. So they profaned the law. So there are these two covenants. And the problem was that these men, these Jews, these people in this old covenant mentality, they looked to that covenant to do something that it did not intend to do by God's design. I mean, think about the analogy that he's making. Could the sons of Hagar ever become sons of Sarah simply by keeping some ceremony or law? No. It it would not ever work. And that's the point that he's making is that you are not a son of Sarah or by keeping of the law, by by this legalistic um, working. We become sons of Sarah, as he says, sons of Abraham through faith, sons of promise through faith. So that's the first thing. There are these two women with these, that represent these two covenants, these ways of salvation. Then look at what he says. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. Well, Mount Sinai is significant because that's the place where Moses went up onto the mountain and God delivered unto him the tablets of stone and the written law of God, where that covenant was ratified with the people of God. But look, it could only bear children for slavery because we're slaves to the law and the law shows us our frailty and our sin and our imperfection. And the law cannot bring us to God. The law cannot save us. And he says, she is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to present Jerusalem. That is to the Jews that lived there. That is to the Jews that made up that population They were looking to the law to save them. And so he's building up this heritage of Hagar that if you want to keep the law and if you want to be saved by law keeping, you are a son of slavery and a son for slavery. That's the point that he makes. And he contrasts that now with, look, but the Jerusalem above is free. Mount Zion. The Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, that is Sarah. And it is her son, the son of promise Isaac, verse 28. And then he quotes, this quotation comes to us from Isaiah 54, Isaiah 54, 1. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. That's interesting. Not because she's in labor and bearing a child, but simply because of God's promise. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So you see, I don't think that it's too complicated. He is using this historical event to represent these two different ways or methods of salvation. One is legalism, the desire to keep the law and by law keeping to merit salvation. And the other is simply trusting God. Looking to God, not coming up with a way to justify ourselves and bring about God's blessing, right? Simply to trust in the promise. Now, two encouragements and we're going to be done. Two encouragements here that we find at the end. Look at verse 28. So he begins, he says, so you brothers are like Isaac, children of promise. That's hopeful because what it means is that All of the Galatian churches had not fully apostatized and fully bought into, at least at this point, the the gospel of the Judaizers. There's hope for restoration because he sees that they are still children of promise. 
And if they will continue by grace through faith in Christ only and not look to the law to save them as the Judaizers would have them, not seeking to be circumcised under the law in order to be saved, then they will continue to be children of promise. He says, you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But then look at what he says. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is this way now. What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Two encouragements. Number one, the first thing that we see, as Derek Thomas put it in preaching on this passage, grace is only for the desolate. Guys, that should be good news to all of us tonight. Grace is not for those who come with something to offer. Whatever you and I have to offer is filthy rags, excrement, rubbish before God. It is only those who know their desolation, like Sarah, who know their barrenness, who know that they cannot contrive it, engineer it, imagine it, come up with it, achieve it. It is only those who come with nothing to bring that God bestows grace to. Grace is for the broken. That is the picture that we have here. And that is the message of Paul to the Galatian churches. Guys, if you don't want to be saved come with something to offer. But if you want to be saved by God for eternity, understand that you cannot earn it and simply come in your brokenness. Guys, let me encourage all of you tonight. I don't know where all of you are. I know most of you very well. The gospel does not tell us, Paul here does not tell us, go get your life together Go stop sinning. Go get it figured out. Go get your feet in the right direction and on the right path and then come talk to us. And then come to Christ. The message of the gospel is come now, just like you are. Because it's the only way that grace will come. It's the only way that God will have you. Broken, destitute, desolate and despised. It's the only way that any man may come. Grace is for the desolate. The second thing that we see is that though the children of slavery may persecute and oppress us now, they will not have any inheritance with us. It's quite interesting what he says that as at that time, the ones who were born according to the flesh, notice that's a reference to Ishmael. He was the imagination of the flesh. It was engineered by the flesh, not by God who miraculously provided Isaac. And he says it is the sons of the flesh that persecute the one born according to the spirit. Guys, if you've ever been around a legalist, you know that it's very difficult to bear. Because they're going to come into your life and they're going to beat you down. Because of all the things that you don't do. All the things that you do that you ought not do. All the do's and all the don'ts and all the checklists. And they're going to 
pile up dirt so high to build a mountain to place before you that you will stand before that mountain every day knowing that you have absolutely no hope of ascending to the top of it and then tell you, unless you can get up there, God will not have you. Friends, legalism will suck the joy from your life and will kill you now and in eternity because it is going to make you a slave to the law that will not save you and that you know you cannot keep. To be around legalists that major on the minor things and make them essential to the gospel and fellowship in Christ and union in the church. When they begin to add all of these things to your faith and tell you that, well, if you do that or if you make this mistake or if you go here, if you don't do this, then God's not going to have you and you're not going to be saved and you will be lost. Notice what Paul says. How do we deal with these Judaizers? Cast out the slave woman, and her son. That means exactly what it says. Paul's not advocating that in the context of the local church, in the body of believers, that there's no room for diversity. My heavens, Paul shows a willingness to to, to call people with severe differences and divisions and problems and concerns brothers in Christ. But when it comes to profaning the gospel with the dangers of legalism, Paul says, cast them out because they'll kill you and they will lead you astray and you will apostatize and you will prove yourself to have never believed in Christ at all. Cast out the slave woman and her son. Why? Because they do not have an inheritance with us. They're illegitimate children and no amount of law keeping can make them legitimate. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free. So that though they may persecute us now, though they may confuse us now, though they may make our life difficult now, though they may call our faith into question now because of the things that maybe we do or that we don't do, praise God that there will be a day when they will not inherit the blessing of God, but we will. I don't mean that in a vindictive sense but that the judgment and the righteousness and the salvation that God makes possible through by grace, through faith in Christ only, that it would be vindicated and God would be glorified in the punishment of the wicked and those that seek to lead his children astray. They do not have an inheritance with us. Friends, let us look to Christ. As we've studied through this letter in Galatians, I hope that if you've seen nothing else, you've seen the importance of understanding the gospel of getting the gospel right and of having no toleration for those that seek to profane the gospel with legalism. May we cherish Jesus Christ because in him only will we be saved. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because we know that by him only will we be saved. God, we thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. That You have brought us into the heritage of freedom. God, that you saved us and made us sons of Abraham, legitimate sons like Isaac, for freedom. God, thank you that we've been freed from the law. But God, may we, may we trust you to provide us a righteousness that our law-keeping never will. God, as you stand between us and God, 
We pray that we, we pray that we would look to you and that we would know that your mediation and your sacrifice and your righteousness is enough. Save us because of and for the sake of Christ our Lord, in whose name we now pray. Amen.